Today, I stood outside a tomb. Someone had died a horrible death. His family and friends lingered in the graveyard, unable to stay, but unwilling to go. There's something about death that traps you, even when you're still alive. The man's mother was nearby, weeping. And my heart went out to her. I knew all too well what she might be feeling. When my daughter fell sick, it was spring. It didn't make any sense. The world was blooming, and she was fading right before our eyes. One day, she slept late, didn't want to get up. By evening, she had a fever. The next morning, she couldn't even get out of bed. I knew it was more than a simple fever. I could see it on the servants' faces, the looks they exchanged as they wiped her forehead. I overheard them whispering, with this kind, there's nothing to be done. I was furious. Nothing to be done? That couldn't be. And I was certain because I was someone who got things done. I always had been. My father was a landowner, so I got a good start in life. But I worked hard. And over the years acquired more land and, and more wealth than my father could ever have imagined. They made me a ruler in the local synagogue. Not a rabbi. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not nearly that spiritual. But I know how to get things done. And I really do care about God and, and about our people. My wife, Esther, comes from a good family. We had two sons grown and married and one daughter. A nice home and, and all the comforts that money could buy. So when Abigail fell sick, I thought we could fix it. We summoned the local doctor. But after his examination, his face was grave. She has a fever, he said. We know she has a fever, I answered, and not too politely. He flinched and didn't meet my eye. Some herbs might help, he said. I can tell your servants what to buy. It will make her more comfortable. Yes, but when will she be well, I demanded. And then he looked at me. If she makes it through tomorrow, the next day, she might have a chance. But I've seen this fever before. She's very weak. And death is very strong. Death. The, the word filled the room with a chill. We were talking about death. Just yesterday, we were talking about a new kitchen, about the rain. He turned to leave, and I grabbed him by the arm, reaching for my purse, for my money. What will it take? I said, just tell me. And he looked at my money, and he looked at me, and his face was sad. I'm sorry, Jairus, he said. There's nothing more to be done. Now, 
Well, my wife hadn't left Abigail's room since the night before. What did the doctor say, she asked when I returned. Now I was the one who couldn't look her in the eye. Uh, he recommends some herbs. Common treatment for a fever, I said. Well, we got the herbs, bought the store empty of them. And they did seem to help her rest, but, but they made her strange, unlike herself. A few days passed. The fever would dip and we would have hope, only to have it surge again stronger than before. I barely left the house in those days, but when I did, I was, I was always astonished to see the sun shining. The world was still turning. Life was going on for other people. For us, everything was on hold. And our daughter, our daughter was in pain. At times, her body would be seized with it. Have you ever seen your child in pain and not been able to help? It's the worst feeling in the world. You'll do anything to make it go away. When I prayed, I, I made every bargain with God. I vowed, I fasted, I sacrificed. And the only thing that changed was that she got worse. One day, I was in the temple and one of the elders approached me, a very pious man. Had I considered, he asked, that this sickness might be God's retribution for sin? Had my wife or I done something that might have displeased God? I don't know how I kept my composure. I swallowed my pride, my anger. I thanked him for his prayers and I left. And I didn't go back often after that. I couldn't believe what he was saying. But it, it bothered me all the same. Was there something? I, I always thought of myself as, as a good person. I, I worked hard. I, I honored my family. I even honored God. I thought I wasn't a perfect man, but who is? Abigail was a surprise. It had been years since our sons were born, and, and we weren't expecting any more children. I know I wasn't expecting any more children. I didn't feel like I needed a daughter. But when Esther's labor was over, and I laid eyes on that little girl, what's her name, they asked. Abigail, I said, a father's joy. And she always had been from her very first day. And here she was, 12 years old and full of life. That's why I couldn't understand how this could be happening to her, to us. The doctor came three more times. But his response was always the same. In desperation, we, we called for a woman from another village. She was supposed to be a healer. What she did seemed more like witchcraft to me, and I didn't want it in the house. After a while, people didn't know what to say to us anymore, so they just stopped talking. We felt forgotten in our own community. We felt alone. We, we felt afraid. I, I found myself 
holding my breath every time I stepped into Abigail's room, fearing the worst. I could see my wife struggling and I didn't know how to help. One afternoon, at the end of my rope, I poured myself a cup of wine. It was gone before I knew it. And I was ready to pour another when I heard a tap at the door. It was Andrew, one of our servants. He'd been with us his whole life. I felt him looking at me at the wine. I felt his pity and I didn't want it. What? I asked irritably. Sir, he said carefully, I was wondering if you had heard that the rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, is in town. I thought he was reminding me of my duties at the synagogue, that he was talking about religion and obligations, and I couldn't care less. I'm busy, I said. But he stepped closer and lowered his voice. Sir, he said, have you heard the stories about this man? What stories, I said. And of course, I had heard of this man. Everybody was talking about the rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. But this Jesus was not someone that the religious leaders were inviting for dinner. No, no, he had a reputation. And I did too. And I wanted to keep mine. I reached for that jug of wine again and... And my servant grabbed my wrist. Sir, he said, they say he's a healer. Well, then I understood. He, he was trying to help, and I appreciated that. But we didn't need another false hope. Rumors, I said. The lower classes will believe anything. I knew I had insulted him but he didn't back down. Last month in Capernaum, he said, he touched a man who had been crippled from birth and made him well. My cousin was there. He knows the man. He saw it with his own eyes. And you believe this, I asked. I do, he said. Now, I had heard these stories, but never from someone who actually believed them let alone someone I knew and I trusted my whole life. Well, just then, another servant came through the door in a panic. It was, it was Miriam, Esther's servant. Sir, she said, your wife says you must come now. And suddenly, I was gripped by a fear bigger than anything I had ever experienced before. I wasn't ready to face whatever was happening in that room. Where is he? I asked Andrew, this Jesus. There was a crowd in the market just an hour ago. I'm going, I said, and I ran out of the house. I ran as much to get away as I did to get to anything. I just couldn't bear it anymore. I couldn't save my daughter. I couldn't comfort my wife. I was useless. Suddenly, my whole life felt foolish. I had chased money and comfort. I'd made a name for myself. And death could take it all in an instant. When I got to the center of town, the crowd was still there. I pushed my way and looking for, for the rabbi. And he wasn't hard to find. He was the one that everybody was listening to. His disciples were nearby. 
And the local people were gathered around, standing, sitting at his feet. I was surprised when I saw him. He was humble, not just poor, though he looked that too. He seemed to be in charge, but not in a forceful way. Like he was having a conversation with people rather than showing off as so many of the rabbis do. For a moment, I hesitated. What was I doing here? But I was desperate. Please, I shouted, effectively halting the conversation. Before I knew it, I was on my knees before him. And everyone was staring at me. Local people, faces I recognized. And he was looking at me. Sir, I said, my daughter is sick. She is near to death. Will you come and heal her? As soon as I spoke the words, I, I felt foolish. How many in that crowd had lost someone? How many had sick loved ones, even at that moment. Death wins. Death always wins. And who could challenge that? The rabbi was still looking at me. And then he said, I will come. As if he was accepting a challenge. And with those words, the crowd began to buzz and gather around us. Jesus tried to control the situation. He told most of his disciples to stay. He took just three with him. But it was clear the rest of the crowd was going to follow and see the show. Well, I led the way across the courtyard, but before we reached the end of the square, Jesus stopped cold, insisting that someone had touched him. A woman apparently had reached out from the crowd and touched his garment, wanting to be healed. I was impatient. I didn't have time for anyone's miracle but my own. It was taking too long. He was still talking to her when I saw a familiar face pushing through the crowd. It was one of our servants, a young girl herself. And I knew why she'd come. She pushed her way all the way between Jesus and me, and she said, your daughter is dead. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. What did I feel in that moment? Numb. We'd known for weeks that Abigail might die. And in recent days, I'd come to fear that she might die. But to hear those words... It sounded so, so final. And a moment later, I was angry. Angry at the doctors who hadn't been any help at all. Angry at God who let it happen. I was angry at the poor girl who brought the message. And angry at Jesus who got distracted when he said he would come. I turned to go and he put a strong hand on my shoulder. He leaned close and whispered, don't be afraid, only believe. And he began to walk again. Don't be afraid, 
only believe. Believe what? When you've just been told that your daughter has died, what's left to believe? And why shouldn't we be afraid when it feels like our life is being torn apart? But he was walking, and, and, and what else could I do but follow? As we neared the house, my feet began to feel like stone. I could see the commotion already beginning. The mourners had arrived, beginning their performance. When we came near the house, they swarmed around us, tearing at their clothes, wailing about death. I couldn't stand it. I shoved them all out of the way. I, I, I threw them out of the house and slammed the door behind them. And it was quiet. It was deathly quiet. Footsteps down the hall. It was Miriam, Esther's servant. Her eyes red with weeping. And I knew it was true. She was God. And then Jesus said, why are you weeping? The child's not dead, just asleep. What? What was he saying? What, what did he mean? Wiping her face, Miriam laughed with disgust and looked at me as if to say, ask who I brought into this house. A moment later, Jesus sent her and the rest of the servants away. And he took his three companions and me and we stepped into the room. Esther was already there sitting on the edge of Abigail's bed, holding her hand as if she was just asleep, as if she could still feel her mother's touch. But one look at her face and I, I knew she was gone. My little girl was gone. And my wife was looking at me as if I'd lost my mind. Who were these men I'd brought at a time like this? She was even more startled when Jesus crouched on the other side of the bed and took Abigail's other hand. And he leaned close and he whispered, little girl, I say to you, arise. I don't know what I expected, what I thought he would say or do, but that wasn't it. When he spoke those words, arise, it was like this great weight was lifted from my shoulders. This fear I'd been carrying for so long was just gone. I, I felt free. I, I felt at peace. And then Abigail sat up just like that. Esther jumped off the bed and I shouted, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Even the disciples were startled. The only two people in the room who were calm were Jesus and and Abigail, she looked at him as if she'd known him her whole life, as if she trusted him. And he, he took her by the hand and, and helped her up. She hadn't gotten out of that bed since she'd been sick weeks ago. And now here she was walking around the room. Mom, she said, and Esther smothered her with a hug. Easy there, easy, I said. I don't know why. Was she fragile? I mean, I'm hungry, she said. <laughs> Jesus said, give her something to eat. Whatever she wants. Who is this mysterious, wonderful man? 
had no children of his own, and yet he seemed to treasure them so much. His own father must have loved him very much, I thought. Well, there was more laughter and hugging and crying, and Esther said, you must stay. You're all welcome. And so that night, we sat down and had dinner together, the most wonderful, strange dinner of my life. Jesus, he could talk to anyone, a man, a woman, a child, rich, poor. Everyone was the same to him. Everyone mattered to him. At the end of the evening, Jesus said they couldn't stay, that they had to keep moving and stay ahead of the crowd. But before he left, he spoke to Esther and me alone. Don't tell anyone what I did, he said. We looked at each other, baffled. Why, Esther said. It's the most wonderful thing. It's a miracle. You brought our daughter back to life. He wouldn't explain, but he asked us again to honor his request. And how could we not after what he had done for us? Well, we tried our best, but, but everybody in town knew that Abigail had been sick, and most of them knew that she had died. They'd seen the mourners come to the house, and many had seen the rabbi come. And so there were all kinds of rumors around town that she had been raised to life again, that she had never been dead in the first place. Some were saying that demons had brought her back to life. Everybody was trying to explain the miracle, and I guess I was too. I mean... It was in front of me every day. Every, every time I saw Abigail, I was reminded that she had been gone and he had brought her back. Every time I saw her, I was reminded that life was short and fragile and also that death wasn't what I thought it was. It wasn't always final. People were stuck on the miracle, but I wanted to know what it meant. I mean, there were other healers around, some of them with remarkable powers. But if this man could overrule death, well, he was no mere healer or rabbi or prophet. I began to sense that we had misjudged him, the religious leaders, myself included. He wasn't what we expected. He was, he was both more and, and less somehow. And why did he do it? I must have asked that a thousand times. If Jesus wanted to bring someone back to life again, a young, unmarried girl in a small town hardly seemed the obvious choice. And he didn't even seem to want the publicity he had earned. People were dying in towns every day. He wasn't going around raising them all to life again. And so it occurred to me that, that Jesus was sending a message that day. That he was sending a message to death. It wasn't really about me and Abigail and the sickness, not really. What happened that day was between Jesus of Nazareth and death. But what happened that day changed my life. And not just because of the miracle, as wonderful as that was, but because that day, after a lifetime of going to the temple and the synagogue, God became real to me that day. God spoke to me through Jesus. Don't be afraid, Jairus. Only 
believe. So after years of trying to be good enough, to be right enough, I finally understood what God wanted. He just wanted us to believe, to trust him. Well, every couple of months, Jesus would come nearby again, and, and, and I always went out to hear him. I mean, some of the others couldn't understand. They were talking about me, but I didn't care anymore. I wasn't worried about my reputation. This man's teaching made sense. His words felt like life, and I wanted that life. And so when spring rolled around again, I got it into my head that we should go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And we hadn't gone in years, but this seemed like the right year to go, to thank God in the holy city for what he had done for us. When we arrived in Jerusalem, I was surprised and excited to hear that, that Jesus and, and his crowd were in town as well. And I was looking forward to seeing him again. But then I heard rumors that, that he'd been arrested. And that was alarming. I always feared the religious leaders would make trouble for him, but not this kind of trouble. I sent Esther and Abigail back to the relatives we were staying with, and I began to search out for the place the trial was being held. I had this crazy idea that I could use my position, perhaps, to speak on his behalf. But when I found the place, I realized there was no trial at all. This was a mob scene. And it was already out of control. Jesus had obviously been beaten terribly. And the crowd was calling for his crucifixion. What's he charged with, I began asking. And no one seemed to be able to say until someone said, blasphemy. He claimed to be the son of God. The son of God. Had he said that? What, what did that mean exactly? I didn't know. But there was no time to think about it because they were already taking him away. Now, I had no interest in watching a crucifixion, let alone of someone I actually knew. But I couldn't leave. I found myself following the crowd out of the city to a hill where three men were nailed to crosses and left to die. It's a horrible death. And until it was actually over, I couldn't believe it was really going to happen. Save yourself, the people were shouting. They meant it as a mockery, but I knew he could do it. He had the power to save himself. Come on, Jesus, I was saying under my breath. Do something. Don't let them win. Don't die. But he did. And just before he cried out to God, as we all do in our pain at the end, he was human and his body just couldn't take anymore. And so today, I stood outside a tomb a large stone had been rolled in front of it and Roman soldiers were standing guard. Family and friends lingered nearby. There were just a few of his followers, 
One of them I recognized, Peter. He'd been in my house. He sat at a distance, weeping and weeping with his head in his hands. A rich man was there, Joseph. He had actually claimed the body and paid for the burial. We noticed each other. And I think we both felt the shame of what our people had done. And some women were there, comforting each other. Several of them supporting another woman about my age. She's his mother, I heard them say. And my heart broke for her, for Jesus, for all of us. What could it mean for the world if this man was gone from it? What good could come from death? Get up, I wanted to say. Arise. But I was nobody. I knew that when my daughter was sick, and I knew it today. When Jesus raised my daughter back to life, I thought he was sending a message to death. I'm coming for you, I thought he was saying. When I'm around, you don't get to win. My daughter's tomb is empty because of that man's life. Well, what now, I wonder? What of this tomb? Well, the sun was setting and I had to get back to my family. But before I left, I went over to speak to his mother. She didn't know who I was and I hated to intrude on her grief, but there was something I had to say. I didn't know what it meant exactly, but I only knew I couldn't keep the words in. So I leaned close and I whispered, don't be afraid. Only believe. Jairus' story is told in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's told pretty much as you heard it today. Now, our script was written in large part by Megan Blosser, who's a member of our creative team, part of the Watertown campus. But it's told pretty much as you heard it today. The fact that it's told in three of the Gospels and that Jairus' name is mentioned every time suggests that the early church knew Jairus, that he'd become a follower of Jesus. Now, we don't know if he was at the cross. There's nothing to suggest that he was. That part was imaginary. But if he had been there, he would have had a very different perspective than the average person who stands beside a fresh grave. On the one hand, Jairus knew what it was like to have his heart broken by the loss of a child. He knew what it was like to have his dreams crushed by circumstances that were outside his control. And he knew what it was to doubt. Not just the power of prayer, but the, the very character of God. Is God good? Can he be trusted? And chances are you've come to moments like that too. But Jairus also knew that death didn't always have the last word. 
He knew that you could be afraid and believe at the same time. That you could doubt and still follow. That your heart could be broken and hopeful at the same time. Do you know that? Are you able to trust God with your dreams and fears and doubts? Because in the end, that's really what it's about. It's not about being religious. It's not about being good. It's about trusting God with all of our lives, every part of our lives, and even our deaths. Now, it could be Jairus' story strikes especially close to home for you. Maybe you're in a Jairus moment right now, feeling great loss, great grief, great struggle, great doubt. Know that those can be the moments in which Jesus comes near to us. In graveyards and hospital rooms and courtrooms and classrooms and counseling offices, at kitchen tables and in church sanctuaries. This may be the time God becomes real to you. Well, that one awful, wonderful day changed Jairus' life forever. And that one awful, wonderful week changed the course of history. Will you dare? to follow Jesus into this holy week the way Jairus dared to follow Jesus home not knowing what was going to happen there. Find some sacred spaces this week and sit with the stories of Jesus. Gather on Good Friday and linger for a while at the cross and the tomb and then join his people on resurrection morning as we celebrate the greatest news the world has ever heard, don't be afraid, only believe. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for these remarkable stories that speak to us from a long time ago, but speak right into our lives today. As often as we hear them, they never feel to speak to us, to move us, to challenge us, to confront us and comfort us. And pray that you would do that today, Lord. Thank you that you know the moments that each one of us are facing right now. You know what's happening in our hearts and in our minds, in our relationships, in our prayers. Meet us there, Lord. And meet us this week as we intentionally set our hearts and minds on you as we make this journey. And Lord, if there are some who are hurting here in a very particular way, Lord, we pray that you might, they might know your presence in a very powerful and personal way. In Jesus' name, amen.